Good morning, Stone Top Bible Church. My name is Gerald Lewis, and I serve as, as the executive pastor here. Thank you for joining us online today. We are forced to be online because of the COVID-19 pandemic. This pandemic has forced us to adjust our schedules, our routines. It has affected our personal relationships. It has affected our jobs and our economy. And it also has created something called clutter. And that word you hear a lot from me today is clutter. Let me give you an idea of one way that clutter can infect your life and be an issue. My daughters recently decided they wanted to paint their room. And if you have ever painted something, you know that you've got to go in, clear off the walls, take down the pictures, take down the posters, get out the thumbtacks, all the things that are on the wall that are a hindrance. You've got to sand it down, clean it, prime it, and then paint it. When that room was painted and my daughters walked in and they looked at the walls and they loved it, they didn't want to bring any of that clutter back in and put on the walls because that clutter was going to obscure the beauty of the room. They decided they'd rather give that stuff up rather than bring it in and clutter their rooms up. In the first century, there was a lot of clutter also. There was a lot of clutter of information. There was a clutter of cults. There was a clutter of other religions that got in the way of people either hearing the gospel or their walk for the gospel. And today we're going to talk about one of those areas of clutter that Paul dealt with in one of his letters. You see, Paul in the first century was forced to confront false teaching that invaded the church. The clutter had come in, and that clutter was causing people to bring heresy into the church. But you see, Paul had a different way of dealing with that. And in his letters out, he addressed it in a way that I think is unique. He used a rebuttal technique that is not only relevant, but necessary for Christians today, as we deal with false information and ungodly ideas that sometimes sound good, loving, even logical, but sometimes these schemes, these ideas are of the enemy. Paul's method was not to chastise, but to edify and to teach. He is a lot less, so he's about halfway through this book before he even addresses the issues that he that were of concern. And even then, he does it in an encouraging way. With this in mind, I'd like to kind of look at Paul's character as far as being forgiving and his belief in redemption and restoration. So I'm going to start off by going to the end of the chapter and look at the end of the chapter and then come back and go to the beginning of the chapter. So if you bear with me just a little bit, we're going to be in Colossians today. But first, let's pray. Dear Lord in heaven, we are thankful, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word that guides us. I ask you, Father, to allow your word to pierce our hearts today, to be clear from my mouth, and to be spoken as the way you want me to speak it, Father. May your word hit those that are hearing in a way that allows them to examine their lives and walk a calling that's worthy of what they're called. So we thank you, Lord, for these things. This we pray in the name of your Son. Amen. So we are in the book of Colossians. If you turn to chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7 and go to verse 18. Tychicus, my beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, 
about whom you receive instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And just Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my many, these are my fellow workers of the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision, and they have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Heropolis. Look, the beloved physician, Demas greets you. So he recognizes, acknowledges the people that are with him, that are encouraging him. But there's something that's interesting. There are two people here that I want to focus on. The first one is Onesimus. Now who is Onesimus? Onesimus was a runaway slave who met Paul and through their interaction came to know the Lord and is now serving the Lord as a fellow co-worker with Paul. Now Paul is doing something very unique in the next chapter here. He's going to be sending him back to his master, his old master, with a letter that's called the letter to Philemon, asking his master to do something very unique, and that was to accept him as a brother. And even more so, if there were any damages that were caused to Philemon by his leaving that Paul wanted to put on his tab. So you see, he believed in redemption, forgiveness, restoration in a different way. Let's take a look at Mark. The Mark that's mentioned here, we all believe that that's the Mark who deserted Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. And if you know, remember that story, they went out and they took him with them. But halfway through, he couldn't handle it. He left and went back home. Now, when the second missionary journey came along, Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them. With them. But Paul said, no, we're not going to take him. He's going to desert us somewhere along the way again. We can't trust him. He's unreliable. But Barnabas had a different thought. He says, no, I will vouch for him. I want him to come along with us. But Paul said, no again. And that disagreement became so hard between them that they split up. Barnabas took Mark and went on a missionary journey. And Paul took Silas and went on a missionary journey. And that was less than 10 years before this letter that has happened. And now we see that Mark is in the company of Paul. And not only with the company of Paul, he is trusted enough to do the work that Paul sends him out to do. So what is it that happened to Mark during this period of time? We don't know. It doesn't really say. But he is a changed person. He has got some boldness. He's got some maturity. He's got some strength. And he found that, I think, through the saving grace of Jesus by walking with him. And not only that, if you notice that every time that Paul mentions Luke, he also mentions Paul. If you look back at Colossians 4.10, 2 Timothy 4.11, Philemon verse 24, you see Mark and Paul, Mark and Luke clearly knew each other to the point that Luke even mentions Mark in the opening of his book. Mark's restoration was complete because God trusted him to the point of allowing him to write scripture. And that's why we have one of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So we see from this that Paul has a heart of restoration. He is willing, I think because of his own background, because he was restored for being a prosecutor of the Christians in Jerusalem and Damascus and coming face to face with the Lord and having his life being changed. 
he is now understands what that means to be restored and he is willing to take the chance with those and you'll see that throughout his letters where he takes time to restore folks he takes time in the way that he admonishes them to lift them up to edify them so they can keep on walking forward and be bold in the gospel now now that we've gotten that out of the way let's go back and take a look at the beginning of the book of Colossians and seeing why this let's take a look first why this letter had to be written you see, this church of believers in the first century, which was direct, indirectly founded by Paul, he did not ever visit Colossae, but he was close enough in Ephesus, about 100 miles away. And I think through that interchange of folks coming to know the Lord in that and going out, they developed this church. Now, after this happened, Paul ended up in house arrest in, in Rome, and that's where he is now. Now, in the church back in in Colossae, false teachings and cults have crept in, and the body of believers were buying into the teachings of false doctrine, which was bringing heresy into the church. And while he's under house arrest, Paul hears about the Colossian Christians, who at one time had been strong in their faith, who were now vulnerable to deception from the faith. The Colossians were apparently adopting proto-Gnostic and cultic views and practices that were incompatible with the gospel of Christ. He wrote to refute each of the theological errors of the Colossians, who were tempted to that the, that the Colossians were tempted to embrace. The letters, however, takes readers far beyond the issue of deception and into your walk in the, in the fullness of Christ. So let's take a look a little bit about that. Let's turn to Colossians, verse one, chapter one, verse one, and I'll read through the first first eighteen verses. I, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, <clears throat> grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love for all the saints, and because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as is also in all the world and is bringing fruit forth as it is also among you since the day you heard and you're the grace of God in truth. As you learn from <clears throat> Epaphras, our fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declares to us your love in the Spirit. See, Paul's a great way of starting the letters. He has a great way of trying to reach people where they are. And in that area, in that church, they were Greeks and they were Jews. So in the very beginning of this letter, he uses a phrase that combines both of them. He says, grace and peace be with you. Because grace was a common Greek greeting, but peace was a, was a common Jewish greeting. You see, he wants to acknowledge the, how favorable the people of that congregation were in his eyes. And he says here in verse 4, Since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for, all the saints, love for all the saints. Now this was also a body of people that were also growing because of the hope which laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it come to all the world and is bringing forth fruit. What's to bring forth fruit? Saving souls and uplifting the saints which is spread from city to city. This was a dedicated church, and it was a growing mature church. However, this church was located on a trade route. 
and people from other cultures are passing through, and they would often bring different beliefs, different religions, different ideals, and influences into the city, such as Jew Judaism, Gnosticism. There were mystery cults from the surrounding areas that practiced the worship of angels, and some of, the, some of these beliefs were now seeping into the church and cluttering and obscuring the word of God. You see, no matter how mature you are, no matter how strong you think your walk, your walk is, you still have to be very cautious, very aware of what gets in your way. Galatians 5.9 warns us, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. But here's a more practical idea of that. In math, there is a principle that says a positive and a negative always equals a negative. If you ever bought a box of fruit, I was in Costco the other day and I wanted to buy a box of oranges. And I opened up a box and they right in the middle of the top row was a rotten orange. And I noticed that all the fruit just around it were either rotten or had mold on it. So that one fruit in the middle had infected the other fruit, causing them all to rot. And we have to be very careful because there are many cautions written in the word. For instance, 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking everyone to devour. Romans 16.19 For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good, what is innocent, and what is evil. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 now these things happen to them as an example. Now what these things, we're talking about here, the children of Israel, the children of the Exodus, that they fell into immorality to the point where in one day, 23,000 of them died. As it says here, now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages come. Therefore, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands, lest he fall. My question is, are you on that edge, or have you even fallen? Are you, as they say, sober-minded and watchful? Do you know when you are drifting away? Are you sure that you know when you're drifting away? Let me ask this question. How many of you have a banner, a poster, a flag, a lawn sign endorsing, endorsing or even a bumper sticker endorsing a person a cause, a movement, or a political candidate. Now if you do, there's nothing wrong with having that, but here's the question I have. What are the causes that you support? Is that cause or group or political candidate, are their views and philosophies in line with the scriptures? If not, why are you offering them your support? Think about it. But let's continue in chapter 1 of Colossians. Because now that he's gone through and he's acknowledged their walk, he's acknowledged their strength, he wants them to remember and he wants to remind them of why they're doing it and who they're doing it for and who deserves all the praise. So as we look at this here, we'll see in verse 9, it says, for this reason, what reason? The reason that he's just stated, where he's acknowledging their growth and their walk. We also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you 
and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience along suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His life, of His love, in whom we have redemption. So he tells them he's praying for them. He tells them he's praying for their spiritual insight so they don't get caught up in heresy. He's telling them to pray that their walk, walk is worthy. He's telling them that he wants to make sure they have abundant power and a thankful spirit. Paul's reminds them by sharing his, that his prayer, the great potential, the potential, great potential promise they have if they remain grounded in the gospel of Christ. You see, Paul really wants to nail this home, so he shares and writes down a poem or a hymn of the time that talks about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And it starts like this in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and all, in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that is all things he may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness shall dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, where things on earth, things in heaven, have him made peace through the blood of his cross. Let's break it down one verse by verse. Let's go back to verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look at something that Jesus said. In John chapter 14, verse 8 through 10, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus replied and said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. See, what Philip did not realize at the time that God, that Jesus was part of the Trinity of the Godhead. And that there's no separation between Jesus and God. They are one. Verse 16 now says, For by him all things are created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created through him and for him. That is telling us that Jesus the Son is the one who did the creating. How do we know that? John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made. Further emphasized in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. But in these days He has spoke to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Hebrews 2 and verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom all things and by whom all things are made. 
I think that makes it pretty clear who did all the work, who created the work. The work. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and all thing, and in him all things consist. Consist, C-U-N-S-I-S-T. It's a Hebrew word. In Hebrew, it means held together. So God, Jesus, holds together the entire world. If he lets go of that, none of us exists. So in him, all things consist or held together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he may have preeminence. Preeminence, which means he surpasses all others. He is the king. He is a righteous ruler. Verse 19, for please God that in him all the fullness shall dwell. That means that he is a complete embodiment of God. And only Jesus can stand in our place before God, and that's why he came and died on the cross. Verse 20, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether on earth or in heaven, made peace again through the blood of his cross. You see, Paul here celebrates the fullness of Christ, and he talks about Christ. But let's take a look at what Christ said about himself. Let's take a look at the names that Jesus used for himself. First one is, he says in John chapter 8, verse 56, he uses the word, I am. He says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. Gate. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the gate. Whoever enters, whoever enters through me will be saved. That's John 10, verse 7. He calls himself the good shepherd. John 10, 14. <clears throat> I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He calls himself light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's John 8, 12. Lord and teacher, John 13, verse 14. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also shall wash one another's feet. Messiah and Christ, John 4, 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And these, Jesus declared to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's John 15, 5. Life, I am the bread of life, John 6, 3. I am the resurrection of the life, verse 11 through 25. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, verse 6. And finally, I am Alpha and Omega, Revelations 1, verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, said the Lord, which is and was and which is to come, the Almighty. When Jesus says something, we have to really pay attention to it. Since these are the names Jesus calls himself, it is essential that we acknowledge and submit to him. So I have a couple questions for you with that. If you fail to acknowledge him as a good shepherd, whose voice are you listening to? If you fail to acknowledge him as Lord and teacher, can you really do anything in his name? If you fail to acknowledge him as the Messiah, who are you following? 
or looking for. If you fail to acknowledge him as the vine, you can, only do, you can do nothing to bear fruit. If you fail to acknowledge him as life, you will not have life. If you fail to acknowledge him as the gate, how are you saved? How are your sins forgiven? If you fail to acknowledge him as the light of the world, you are walking in darkness. If you fail to acknowledge him as, Alpha and Omega, as the Alpha and Omega, then who or how do you believe the world was created? See, Jesus lives in us to transform us. Personally, he wants us to affect our individual jobs. He wants to affect our families. He wants to affect our communities. And he wants to affect our personal relationships. But to do that, we have to clear out the clutter. We have to get that out of the way and be able to see him clearly, be able to see him in all the names that he calls himself and walk the walk that allows us to fully exemplify that. So our word to you today is clear out the clutter. Now there's one more caveat on this. There are some folks here today that can't live this message because they've never taken the full step. They've never, and you have never, and I speak to you clearly here, never fully given your life over to you. There's never been a moment in your life that you know that you made a conscious decision to turn your life over to him, to make him your Lord and Savior. So my question is, why is that? What has been holding you back? Take a look at all those names. Read around the tape, listen to them, or find the references for them, read them through. Because he tells us to each one of those that he is the one that comes to take the sins of the world. And as I told you before, there is no other person, individual, or being that can stand in the gap between you and God to take your sins away. So for today, today is your day to do that. For the rest of us, let's walk that. For the rest of us, let's share that. For the rest of us, let's get rid of the clutter. Pay attention to things we listen to. Pay attention to things that we agree with. Pay attention to things that we endorse so that we are not allowing heresy to come into our lives and affect our families and in turn affect our community. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day.